Have you ever been in the situation where the CEO comes up with a great idea of, hey, let's have the CS team reach out to every single customer this month? It's only a recurring nightmare, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's like, have you done the math? What's up, lifers? This is Dylan. You're about to listen to a fantastic episode. I can't wait for you to hear it. But a little bit of news first. This is going to be the last episode that we publish for a little while. After this, we're going to take some time, enjoy the summer, spend time with family, spend time at the beach. Also going to spend some time thinking about how we can make this podcast better for you, whether it's in the format, the segments, the guests, the topics. And we'll look to come back at the beginning of the fall. A huge thanks to everybody who has been a guest. Everybody has listened, even if this is your first time, your 21st time, whatever it is. Stay subscribed. Keep following the page on LinkedIn, and we'll be back. Enjoy your summer, folks. Peace. All right. Welcome, lifers, and thank you for joining us. You're listening to Lifetime Value, the customer success podcast where we help you wrap up the week that was in customer success and start you off on the right foot for the one ahead of you. I am your host and my name is Dylan Young. This week's guest is the founder and CEO of CXology. Ladies and gentlemen, we have Tim Condor on the show today. Tim, welcome. Thank you. It's, it's exciting to be here. Tim, did I pronounce your last name correct? Yes. Perfect. Well, Tim, so um, elephant in the room Friend of the pod, Ali Cudby, also was a part of CXology, but as I understand it, you two have, have since decided to focus on other things. And so I don't know that she ever told us a ton about CXology, but would you like to uh, explain what exactly CXology does a little bit more? For sure. So CXology is a learning platform um, teaching strategic customer success, which is a framework that has been uh, been something that I've been working towards since 2015. And so, yeah, Ali was a, a part of this. I think that um, two founders really finding their passions. And luckily we had two companies that, um, were, mm -hmm. were, that we were each passionate about. Um, and uh, now I'm on my own um, pushing this forward and she's doing the same with alignment. Since 2015, tell us about how you, you ended up there. So I ended up there um, after becoming the customer of SaaS and technology at the enterprise level for the first time. Um, it gave me a huge appreciation of some of the things that I've done with teams and the companies that I've been a part of previously, but also just really opened my eyes to how difficult of an experience we can make it. Um, and, <laughs> and sometimes it and, feels like that's what we're doing, right? We're, yeah, we're trying yeah. to make it harder. Um, and, uh, most of the time it's the little things and I have a couple of stories I can back that up with, um, uh, that turn into big things, but it motivated me to go out and, and 
to start my own consulting practice. So my first one was named eServio and uh, worked with um, a variety of SaaS companies from 20-year-old companies to true startups to scale-ups and just really got in deep exploring the challenges in modern-day SaaS, figuring out what to do and how to scale the right customer experience. So this comes out of a, a pain that you had as a customer. Yes. Yeah, as a customer for the first time. Um, the first time in my career, I've always been on the vendor side of things, whether that be a consultant or software engineer. That's my where I got my start or a leader um, heading up customer success teams. But it's been a while, right? So 2015, that makes it seven or eight years you've been at this. Uh, and pain is not enough to dedicate that much time to something. So what is it about this customer success field and, and customer experience that gets you excited and, and makes you want to stick around? Yeah, it's really the, the people, the, the, the type of person that is attracted to a customer success role is something that I identify with. I'm very service oriented. I want to be helpful. I want to solve problems. Um, and I love helping people that kind of share that passion. But also we put, you know, people like this in tough spots, um, whether that's how we strategize, plan capacity, resourcing, or um, the things that we're pressured to do um, in building brand new companies from from nothing, right? And, and what I mean by that is just, you know, taking an idea to market that's innovative, um, you know, the, the major pivots, the micro pivots, I really appreciate being able to uh, kind of turn the light bulb on and show people easy solutions to some really daunting challenges um, and make their work lives a little bit better. And so the crux of your answer here was in working with the folks that you find in the customer success space, solutions oriented, helpful folks. Another thing I hear a lot is empathetic. And I'd like to know how you view empathy and its role within customer success and specifically those individual contributors, the practitioners of customer success, where do you think it sits in the hierarchy of necessary skills? Um, so this is um, kind of a perspective that I've said at several points um, as I've been on this journey. And it's really um, just educating both, you know, the people that purchase these technology products, as well as those who want to work for companies that are being innovative and are, are true startups. The people that would work for a Fortune 500 pharmaceutical company are comfortable and love that working environment. This is mm -hmm. an example. People that are attracted to startups and scale-ups and SaaS and technology companies um, are excited about that space. And so honestly, rarely do you have a lot of overlap. And so as founders, um, we typically come to this point of, I want to innovate something based on our experience, right? And as we bring more people into the organization, we get further and further away from that. And, and our experience and the benefit that brings um, also gets further and further away from the people that are doing work. And I think that from an empathy perspective, it's always going to be challenging to put yourself in the customer's shoes, right? Because mm -hmm. Um, well, one of the team's uh, business partners that I had when I was a customer was a, um, a legal team um, uh, that was 
consists of about 400 law firms globally, as well as thousands of people, and what it's like to participate in that massive effort is going to be something that's going to be very difficult for anybody to understand and who hasn't lived and breathed that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so I think, you know, empathy, it is overused. I, I also think that true empathy in terms of like a light switch, like I'm empathetic, um, is just a, maybe an unrealistic bar to try to live up to. But what we can be is emotionally intelligent. What we can do is find ways to become more aligned, you know, whoever we're helping or whatever company that we're working with, align our ideas to their problems. Um, two companies becoming iteratively more aligned over time. Um, mm -hmm. I think that is something that that is achievable. What are so your we, views? I want to pull the I want to peel the onion a little bit here because I believe implicit in your response is a value placed on the relationship between a CSM and their point of contact and therefore a vendor and their customer. How do you quantify that? Do you believe that's equally as important as the outcomes you provide, as the value you deliver? Is it 75-25? I think maybe understanding that helps to understand where empathy sits in the hierarchy of skills. So what you're asking is the value between the the human and mm -hmm. the humans that are working together versus the value that the product or service delivers. Is that maybe not versus? Maybe not okay. versus. That sounds adversarial compared to compared to. <laughs> if if there's a pie of a hundred percent, how do they break out? Yeah. So uh, one of the things that Ali and I came up with early in um, when we were working together is that we have three components, a, a triangle, so to speak, that matter. We have our leadership team. Right, the leader of the, the the company that is the vendor. We have the the team, the people, and we have the customer. And the relationship between the customer and the leader, it's all about vision. We're buying into a vision as a customer, right? I want to be able to do that, or I think that will help me achieve X. Mm -hmm. The leader in the team um, is culture, right? I want to be a part of this company that we're building, and uh, we create this this culture of working together that we enjoy. But the team to the customer is really profit, right? And I don't mean to mix in like a, a financial thing here, but um, uh, the way that we do our work and how we do our work, um, uh, the way that we deliver and retain, essentially that is what drives kind of the financial model that sits behind um, our, our software company. And so really all three of those things matter, right? It's not just the human to the customer. Um, if, if you don't have a strong vision um, and, and or your product can't live up to the expectations that you claim or you tout, right, mm -hmm. you're going to have a disconnect there. The same way that if we say our culture is this, like uh, our guiding principles or our core values, and we see leadership eroding those or making decisions that are in conflict of those, then we pull that, that component apart. And then two, if our our team um, isn't equipped to, to facilitate the business, 
um, that falls apart. And so it's kind of difficult for me to say 80-20. Um, um, I, I see them as symbiotic. Um, in an ideal world, um, they all have equal value. When you get them all functioning the way that they should be, um, that's when the magic happens. And that's when you see some pretty impressive outcomes. Yeah, I would agree that it's they should all be equally valuable. Though I do tend also, let me say this, uh, full disclosure, and I believe I've said this on a previous episode, I recently did a, a strength finding exercise, mm -hmm. a bunch of different values. Empathy is one of them. It was literally my lowest <laughs> value. Now, I don't think that means I don't recognize other people's experiences. I think it's that it, I don't, I do not necessarily put a premium on empathy in working business relationships. And I believe that the way empathy is being defined in those ways is, is feeling their feelings. And I do not do that. I do understand what their business, their desired business outcomes are, so on and so forth. And so I do believe that from that perspective, empathy is very important. Yeah. But I think that that definition gets muddied sometimes. Yeah, I think that we we add a we bring in a little maybe um, something that sounds good. Um, it sounds honorable mm. to, to to do that. But what I, my mm -hmm. first point is: is it achievable? Right? Because I haven't been part of a legal team at a multinational billion dollar multi billion dollar mm -hmm. company. Mm -hmm. um, can you really truly feel uh, what it's like to have to testify on, uh, on a stand as to the way that you do your job? Um, no, like, well, I, and so I think here's the other piece, the other way this gets, and I totally agree with you though. I, I, you see this trend increasingly of companies who try to hire CSMs from that field because of how much they value the ability for somebody to, to talk that talk. I don't know if you necessarily need that either. However, I think to put a finer point on this is so often folks introduce themselves on podcasts or in job interviews as I'm an empathetic person, I really like to help people. And I don't actually think that that is the goal of a CSM. Maybe that's the line in the sand that I'm, I'm drawing. And I, I, I feel as though you and I are on the same page here of like that example you give of the legal firm. It is not likely that you can yeah. uh, empathize what they do on a daily basis, nor is it, I don't think, that's a very anodyne piece of software and a very anodyne market. I don't know if you really care to help that lawyer do their job better, but you do want your business to be successful and you'd like for their business to be yeah. successful. Yeah, I, I think where you see companies like um, hiring in uh, experience and expertise is they're trying to make up for shortcomings in other parts of their company, whether that's uh, they are lacking in the self-service documentation. Um, their product is, the vision isn't fully complete. So it's a, it's a mile wide and an inch deep, right? And so mm -hmm. we're looking for that experience to make it click and make it all make sense. Um, and so it's, uh, it's probably more of a step along their maturity curve where they say, hey, this is a easy easier solution uh, and quicker solution than filling in some of these gaps. Fair. I like that explanation. I think that that's, that makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, Tim, you want to jump into a couple of the topics? Let's do it.
full disclosure for all the listeners, Tim did most of the heavy lifting here in, in regards to these topics this week. So a couple that are top of mind, Tim, I imagine, either in what it is that you're offering there at CXology, maybe it's a little bit of the conversations that you're seeing out there in the wild. And so the first one you called out here, Tim, is if retention is actually as important as we say it is, then why are we so lackadaisical in resourcing our teams to drive it up? Yep. Tell me more about that spicy little question. Yeah. So that's a, it's a big topic. Um, so if you look at a SaaS company and all of the functions, boil them up to the top level, we have a sales team, we have a marketing team, we have a product team and, uh, we have operations and sometimes that's called finance. Um, uh, there could be a legal component to that operations team. Um, it could be facilities, uh, mm -hmm. internal IT, all that good stuff. Then we have customer success. Those other teams um, are further ahead on the maturity curve. And so what I mean by that is like sales teams have, and just for the record, as I describe this, CS is rapidly improving. But mm -hmm. yeah. you know, sales has technology designed for it. They have systems, they have methodologies, they have uh, people experienced in a variety of sales methodologies, right? They can, if they can compete better for resources because they can more clearly state that if you give me X resources, I can generate Y revenue, right? Yep. Marketing's, or, uh, marketing's the same. Um, if I have X resources, whether that is vendors that help me or ad spend, you name it, or actually team members with expertise, I can generate more traffic. I can generate more leads, et cetera, yeah. product, more features to market, higher quality, um, operations, they all fit within that. And in CS, we're still missing some of those pieces, right? And so it's difficult for us to go to our CEO and say, if you give me X resources, I can retain and grow revenue from our existing customers, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, while we have a seat at the table, we are constrained in competing for those resources, right? Because we know how to do it in other parts of the business. And so when I look at leadership teams that I've worked with and leadership teams I've been a part of, it's easy for us to put our whether that's uh, investment, venture capital, um, or revenue from product and services behind what we know how to control, the dials, the levers that we can pull. And so we do it, right? And so, you know, a lot of problems in SaaS um, are solved through acquisition or attempted to be solved through acquisition, new customer acquisition. And, uh, and so um, that's just a dynamic. Um, if you look at where this concept of customer sex evolved out of. Um, when I got my start in 2001, I worked for a company that it was a software company and we had a professional service organization. And we were competing, um, our professional services at least, um, against kind of the big four consulting firms, the system integrators, right? Your Ernst mm -hmm. and Young's, your Capgemini, as the list goes on. And those organizations are going to bring a team of 30 and 40 people, right, back then to do what the work that we did with five highly specialized resources. That was someone that owned uh, enablement and training. It was a project manager. There were SMEs um, and likely a technical consultant. That was a role that I played 
that was responsible for technical components, whether that was customizing, integrating, um, or just you know embedding from an, uh, uh, an IT perspective, this technology in the company. So we went from 30 to 40 down to five or six highly specialized resources. And then we're like, one person can do it all. And that's where customer success has lived um, in for quite a few years now. Now, I see that uh, topics about specialization in CS, and we've already yeah. lived about you know, creating onboarding teams versus teams that are focused you know, on retention or the, the messy middles, something that I would call it. Um, I like that. I think we're we're starting to evolve, but we still have some ways to go in terms of competing for the competing equally for the the resources that are available. I want to I want to say this back to you slightly differently than the way you presented it, and then I want to give you a new wrinkle. A new it's been mentioned. I have mentioned it a number of times before, but I wonder if you have or if you've thought about it. So sales marketing. Uh, finance slightly different because they're really just monitoring activity for the most part, right? They're not going out there and trying to generate something new necessarily as, as far as I understand it. So, so let's, let's focus on sales and marketing, other revenue affecting departments. To say it a little bit differently than you said, they have very standard procedures, typically based off of the standard of measurement that their performance is being based on. Whereas, and for sales, it's money in the door. Not necessarily new logos, but that's often the case. But it's yep. money in the door. And marketing is top of funnel, right? It's exposure and or top of funnel. Those are very easy to understand. They really don't change that much. They're easy to understand the, now. Right. Early right. 2000s. Um, it was the wild, wild west in sales where we were carrying Here's a Here's what going. I'll say, though, is that I do not believe that getting better at understanding what customer success should be measured on, getting everybody to agree on it, is necessarily all it's going to take because, Tim, customer success is the hub of the wheel through which all spokes run. And so take a step back. Customer success. Its ability to sell additional stuff, if that's what it's being re held responsible for, or even just retention, relies so heavily on the product's ability to perform. Totally. And yet we have very little control over that. Compare that to sales, where all they're being measured on is the perceived value of the product's ability. They aren't meant to be held accountable unless there's a pilot period, things like that, of what the product can actually do. And so what do they need to control? It's really just numbers, right? More calls, uh, more meetings, more demos set. Whereas customer success is, is, I would say, largely at the mercy of product's ability to continue to perform well and improve. And so I don't know that it's a I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but I don't think it's a fair analogy to say, as we get older and more mature in the CS community, then we'll get better. That's not because what I'm saying. Because I think it relies on so many other... Yeah. Okay, uh, fair. Um, yes. So this is a, a, a good transition point, but I want to make a, a point just based on my personal experience. And so mm -hmm. 
I got my start as a software engineer. I wanted to travel. Um, realized that, hey, traveling 100% is not that great. And uh, so I got off the road. <laughs> Actually, a uh, quick story. I, I was at a company in Rhode Island, and I was working extremely long hours. It was 10 p.m. at night. I was still there at the client. And I called up my boss, and I said, who had been in the travel gig professional services for a really long time. And I said, how do you make this work? And he's like, well, I've almost been divorced three times. And I was like, okay, I'm out. Right. <laughs> and I was like, um, I was like, this is definitely not for me. Um, yeah. And so that, I took that, was, on... that did not make me feel better, <laughs> sir. Especially not at 10 o'clock at night. Um, <laughs> and, uh, uh, so I took on this, uh, this new team that we, they were creating, um, that was going to explore the types of services that we could provide after go live. Right. And so back then we had teams that which the teams of five or six that really focused on implementing and onboarding technology. Right. We didn't really have anything after the fact. And, uh, and so we created this team and what we achieved with it was that at, at that point in time, we had somewhere in the mid eighties of gross retention created this team and, uh, the team that I led, it was responsible for 100% logo gross retention for six years in a row. We went from 84 to 100. Impressive, right? The situation was also that on average, one customer, approximately 300, 360 customers at this particular company, uh, software company, um, experienced a high severity issue per month, per year. So every single customer they had, had at least 12, like, outages or just really bad moments. And we were still able, because of the way that we ran this team and how we focused and how we engaged uh, with the customer, we were still able to retain at near perfection or perfection, mm -hmm. um, despite given all those issues. Now, we can do a lot of crazy things to our CS teams, right? And expect them to just figure it out. So eliminating a whole portion of your product, right? That you have customers using, but you're going to simplify or head in a different direction. Mm -hmm. um, the way that we roll out features, it's not the, the next big thing that's the biggest challenge in terms of rolling out a new feature. It's a label change or you moved a button, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, and those are the things that take the, the most time and care in terms of preparing your customer base for. So we can do some things that are just like, man, you're really making it difficult for this team that's responsible for retention, value, whatever you want to call it. But also in terms of how we run that team and how we set that team up in terms of its operations, I still think that we can overcome at least a portion of those challenges. Back to my hand-wringing statement, how do you measure it and how do you standardize it? For customer success yeah. or is it or is it truly that grr number are we just going to go back to that and it's kind of like however you get there you get there i, I don't know the answer to that question yet but i yeah. do know that why is it challenging <laughs> uh, and, and i'm all like i've been in a lot of different camps over the years on that um uh but we like one challenge that we have in terms of protecting ourselves or just creating awareness that hey that pulling the rug out from our customers is a bad idea, right? Mm -hmm. Is that mm -hmm. um, it's difficult for us to tell the story of what it takes. So you go back to sales can bring in more revenue. Their metrics are simpler, right? Well, they can tell the story 
of what it takes to get that additional dollar, right? Mm-hmm. Marketing in, in, in customer success, that's very challenging for us um, because it's a lot of different things. Um, a, a friend, a customer, and a mentor calls it an outsized responsibility for the customer that we place on CS. And I think that's very accurate. And it makes us, it makes it very difficult to tell our leadership teams, this is what it actually takes to retain a customer and drive value. Well, and that's why there is an entire school of thought within customer success that is customer success is org wide and not, you know, a single department. But it's really hard for me to square that circle because I, I still don't think anybody is great at saying, hey, if CS is org wide, then here are all of these different metrics that each one of the departments within the org is tracking. And within those, these are, I can pinpoint these ones because yeah. they impact GRR, NRR, so on and so forth. Because even if we yeah. had that, I feel like that's a great starting point. Yeah. I think the way that I would put it is everyone's a part of the customer experience, especially in a SaaS company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, but customer success has a def- defined responsibility that deserves support, right? And so um, it's the difference between CX being the experience that we're trying to deliver. And it's more than CS, right? Your billing yeah. team is part of that, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, accounts receivable, um, list goes on, versus CS has, uh, it's a relational component, right? It's a, a strategist, it's a tactician, um, um, all of these different things that, that deserve support from the organization, but they, you know, they have a, it's improving a defined focus and responsibility for the company. Yeah. Yep, I agree. And I certainly don't want to sound like the pessimist here. Actually, as we're talking about this, I'm thinking of ways that we can start to pull in those data points and then work with our partners and other departments to to support them in driving those figures up. Whatever we decide yeah. helps with retention or, or expansion in some capacity. Have you ever been in the situation where the CEO comes up with a great idea of hey, let's have the CS team reach out to every single customer this month for like 30 minutes. And they've never done- It's a recurring nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) And and it's like, have you done the math? Like, um, all right, so you have a team that's already constrained and um, uh, says they're short on resources and you you want to reach out to a thousand customers for 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's, uh, we can, you know, we are chipping away at it and I think that we can start to make progress. You know, these, this effort to post sale customer journey, uh, life cycle is a step in the right direction. It's, you know, is it always valuable? I think it depends on how you create it and what you're trying to communicate, but we're at least making the attempt at, at saying we're going to do these things at these moments. And ultimately this is what we take. But I think as we think about the capacity of our teams, um, you know, something that, you know, the first team that I led, I was super detail oriented. I could precisely tell you, tell the CEO when I needed more capacity and I could back that up with the opportunity. But my, my model and what I was operating within at that time 
was much more simplified than a modern day customer success team. But ultimately that's kind of where we need to go is like, um, uh, product says they're going to bring on a hundred new customers this year. In addition to what we already have, how do you answer how many, uh, how many new CS team members, um, we're going to need to support that and to fight for that spend and that investment. Yeah. I don't know the answer. What I immediately thought of or questioned at the example of the CEO asking you to reach out to every customer is one I've, I've experienced in the past where we had no data beyond how many customers we had yep. such that we could push back and say, hey, this customer, man, they're not even, they, they can't even consider this thing you want to sell them. Or they literally don't have the budget or they only have three employees, man. Like they don't need that thing. We didn't even have that level of data. You extrapolate that out and that's a uh, that's what I would refer to as some sort of wallet share analysis. Like how much money is there actually to be gained from this customer and how much do we currently have today? The problem is most customer success departments, as far as I understand it, they just don't, they don't have the the time, the resources, the information, the intelligence, not whether they are smart or not, but the actual information to act upon to do that sort of thing that would really supercharge their ability to to speak intelligently back to folks that are asking them to do what we just inherently know are ridiculous things. That's immediately where my mind went to. And it's, yeah. it, that seems to be the never-ending uh, plight of customer success is yeah. the the inherent understanding that some of the things they're being asked to do are difficult, nigh impossible, but without the data to back it up. Exactly right. So we're missing the data, the, the data point. We're also missing... Um, so uh, when I was still focusing on consulting, but we were starting to envision CXology, but I was talking um, with a longtime mentor who had hired my previous consultancy to do work at his company. Um, and he's always been a part of my journey. And he's like, Tim, he's like, I love what you do, right? You know that I brought you in to do it before time and time again. Um, but I'm going to hit you with a hard question. Why do something about this now? Right. And so I'm trying to provide services to customer success teams in either consulting capacity or this e-learning capacity. And why should you invest in this now? I was like, Oh shit, I don't have a, <laughs> I was like, I don't have a great answer for that other than I know it's the right thing to do. And you know, it's the right thing to do, but we, we haven't really taken the time to understand retention. So I'm not plugging my website, but I did put a resource out there called the opportunity that goes into four persuasive arguments on retention. And what I found is that, in showing people this and this figuring out this uh, why invest answer is that most of the time when we think about retention, it's kind of in the now, right? We're thinking about a month, a quarter or a year. Mm -hmm. We've never really drug it out to the right. How far? What do you mean? So um, as far as you, as, as you want, I mean that like looking over retention, net revenue retention and how it compounds over a multi-year span. So the average time to exit or whatever that's an IPO or being acquired in SaaS is nine years, right? So looking out over nine years, it's hundreds of millions of dollars of value 
typically for a company that makes good investment and retention. And, and I bring this up because I think that is something that CS leaders can start to do, right? To come up with these persuasive arguments to get the conversation started. Mm -hmm. Then we have to go and, and do the work of what is our team doing? Um, uh, where do we have gaps? But ultimately, what are they doing? And how do we standardize that, create consistency? And then like, what does it actually take to deliver that? And I think what you're going to find is that we can plot effort. You know, it's not, you can't go at this and say, I'm going to be a hundred percent accurate. That's just, that's a fool's errand. Like, like that's unachievable um, because there's a lot of variability to this, but you can get um, a good idea of uh, what does it take to service a customer over a given year? And um, where do we, the typical customer um, goes through this timeline, achieving these things um, in this duration um, or this span. And we can start to create some simple models that where we can stack them in terms of what we're doing for our existing customers. And then it's a matter of we're going to add uh, 10 customers a month um, uh, through the remainder of the year. And we can start to build some capacity pictures here that will take the conversation further. It may not give you complete answers, right? Um, and the completeness that we see in other areas of the organization. Um, but we can at least get people looking at it, their, their perspectives a little bit differently. Um, and so I do think it's, um, it's a worthwhile endeavor to focus on consistency and focus on getting better at telling the story of what it actually takes to do our job. If we don't, um, we kind of default to whatever uh, unreasonable expectation that we can create in our heads, right? One CSM for every or 250 others. customers. Yeah. Or others to yeah, create yeah. for us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we become defenseless. Tim, as expected, we've gotten through one out of three topics. I think we probably <laughs> touched on a little bit of other stuff too, but I want to introduce you to another segment of ours. And this is, I want to give you an opportunity to tell us about a customer that you had the opportunity to fire. This is a segment that we refer to as churn it up. And Tim, yeah. I'd like you to tell us about that one customer that you wish you could kick backwards out of a plane 30,000 feet above the earth. <laughs> well, um, I actually have two examples and I fired them both and they changed and they stayed customers. Right. So I'm going to tell you about both stories. So the first one is um, I'm working at a startup. This is uh, this is a story of a um, of a customer that wants to hijack your product roadmap. Right. Mm -hmm. And in the customer that we were working with, I have also worked closely with their team and their team said, hey, we have 100 customers with 100 unique solutions. I already could tell that they're kind of taking some of their culture of adaptation to their deals and trying to place that on us. And, you know, these situations, they like, I didn't like say, oh, that's one strike and you're out. It was, there was a process of trying to get them to come around. But ultimately, we had to communicate um, that uh, I don't think that we can meet your expectations. Because while we appreciate engaging with our customers and customers' feedback, the things that you're asking for are not shared across our other customers and are really not part of our vision, right? And so, you know, I said, I, I think we're going to politely say that I think that we should essentially go our separate ways. And well, so let me, let me interject. First of all, lamest and most polite firing ever. I want this to be <laughs> a, a real flame out, Tim. But secondly, it's not my style. 
<laughs> How about do you have? I'm sure it would just be an estimate. What percentage did that customer contribute to your overall revenue numbers? Were they relatively small? Were they your biggest relatively, customer? No, relatively small. Yeah, that and, always makes uh, it easier, right? But we but we were we were over rotating as a company trying to appease them, um, okay. and there had to be a stop to that because you know obviously it was impacting us. Um, and so, I mean, they weren't our smallest customer. Um, that would have been an easier decision, but they, um, sure. they were an important customer and we actually had shared investors, right? So it was kind of a, Oh, okay. Um, shared board that members. Makes it hairier. <laughs> yeah, for sure. The second notable experience that I had as I was working for, uh, an SEO agency, this was a bootstrap company. Right. So we didn't have we weren't venture backed in any way, shape or form, but still a very successful company. I think they were the fastest growing company in my neck of the woods for three years in a row, like a thousand plus percent. Right. Wow. Okay. Um, and we had a customer was paying us uh, over a million dollars a year for services, which is a big deal in the SEO world. At least back then, I was like, oh, that's a lot of money. Um, but he would berate yeah. our team, insult them. <laughs> I mean, no, seriously, yeah. it was like it was a challenge. Like, what do we do? It's like they're literally our highest paying customer but okay. the way that they're treating our team just this is wrong we like we we can't continue to go on like this mm -hmm. um and i remember i made the decision i was like all right i'm going to call i'm going to contact this person's manager their boss lay this out on the table what we're experiencing and i remember when i was getting ready to have this call i was super nervous the founders outside my office i could see them pacing i could see their sneakers like they, they're walking up to my door like they were going to knock on it or come in. And I laid it all on the table. I, I led with facts. Um, and I was very confident in saying that if we're going to continue this relationship, we need a different point of contact. I was ready. I went in there. I, I was not uh, pulling strings. I was r ready to take the hit um, in, in revenue. And in doing this, um, we kept the same contact but they just drastically changed, right? And so wow. um, it was light and, night and day. It was just amazing. I think the thing that I regret is I let it go on too long, right? Um, and Because you were scared. Like you didn't think you, you would have that. Well, it, it was hard. It, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. I, I had no yeah. clue. Um, and so I think what I would encourage people that are listening to this that think they're in this situation is your gut's probably right. Um, and, and I think that how you go about having that conversation, keeping emotions out and keeping it factual, but also knowing what you want, right. To change, um, or to be different, mm -hmm. um, uh, in some way, these squeaky wheels, as sometimes we like to refer to them as customers that complain a lot or demand a lot, we react to that, right. Cause a lot of the t times, most of our day is, whatever hits us in the morning derails our day and that's what we're reacting to. Right? So we're already in that mindset. But after you have these moments and you have these, these, you know, like you overcome them, you look back on it and you're like, man, I wish I would have been firmer at the start. Right. I, I, I wish I would have reacted to this situation quicker. You know, it could be yeah. an outcome that they leave your company. Um, but you're also communicating, to, you know, to them through word of mouth to others that, you know, my team deserves respect or that yeah. we're very proud of what we do and we want to continue doing that. And ultimately they wanted something else. It is a very thin line 
when it is appropriate to let the revenue tail wag the company dog. It's why we're all here for the most part, but if it destroys your morale or it materially changes the makeup of your company through those decisions, then that is exponentially worse than losing that one customer, even if it's your largest customer. So I, I, what I would say, you said, um, do it sooner. I really, really like what you said about making sure it's clear what it is you want to change. Can't complain for complaining sake, which is what it's going to look like if you don't offer solutions. Yep. But the way I might phrase it is uh, consistent discipline. You don't treat different customers different ways or at different points in their life cycle. You treat them all with the utmost respect. They try to deliver the exact same uh, level of value to all of them. And you also don't take any crap from them, right? And you you uh, nip that in the bud as soon as it occurs. Yep, that's exactly right. Tim, this has been a ton of fun. Let's wrap it up. And the first thing we like to to touch on in the conclusion is your CS player of the week. So who out there is moving the customer success profession forward in the past seven days for you? Yeah. So um, I'd like to give a shout out to Jesse Kurth. Um, he uh, heads up CS and a bunch of other stuff for a company called Ziptility. Um, and Ziptility is servicing uh, rural um, uh, utilities a profession in an area focused by society that we just underappreciate, right? How we get clean water, how we get electricity, mm-hmm. um, uh, how we flush our toilets. He and his team and his company um, are just doing wonders to try to provide a solution that will make their jobs easier, more enjoyable, all that good stuff. And uh, Jesse uh, has done a lot here in Indianapolis for the CS function. He has started meetups and uh, mastermind groups and um, continues to support me, and he's always a great sounding board. So shout out to Jesse Kurth. It's interesting. My wife works for a utility company, formerly public, just got taken private, where you would think, similar to Comcast, they have a bit of a captive market, and yet they have more conversations and more programs around customer experience and customer satisfaction than some startup companies where you wouldn't think that they need to, right? They have a captive market. They can kind of charge what they want or treat their customers just above dog crap enough that they won't sell their home because what's the other alternative? I agree. Uh, Underappreciated, but very important (laughs) companies. Um, I'm glad to have folks that are taking uh, customer success and customer experience seriously in those groups. All right. Referrals and recommendations. If you could take the audience members and point them in the direction of any one thing or activity, and it does not have to be customer success related, what would it be? I thought of a book and I don't want to, if that's the boring topic, I, I can try to think of or, something else, no, but, it's it's but fine. it's an old book. People and still so, read books. Um, when you start a company um, and you're meeting with people, getting advice, uh, everyone likes to tell you, you should read this book. I typically try to read them. Um, if not the cliff notes, you know, like, you know, um, and and see what they're trying to get at. And the book is E Myth Revisited. Mm, and yeah, um, and and I think as we think about our CS functions, it's been one that I've relied on and also used um, to help teach 
what it is we actually need to do. And one of the concepts in there is that, you know, companies need to be good at three things. Um, we need to be able to innovate. So typically we're good at that. We need to be able to measure what works. And then we need to be able to orchestrate, right? We need to be consistent. We need to be able to roll things out um, uh, to get our team to, or, you know, to orchestrate this experience. And a lot of things in that book, I think, are still applicable. I think it was written in the mid to late 80s, but uh, it's still very applicable today. So it's a quick read, too. That's a great one. I'm glad you didn't back out on the book suggestion. Tim, where can folks connect with you? So connect with me on LinkedIn. You can find uh, CXology, connect me through the company page. Um, you can connect with me through our website, but I'd love to, to connect on, uh, uh, on LinkedIn. So send me an invite, reach out. And uh, um, I'm in this uh, uh, process now where I wanna share what we're doing and I wanna get feedback. So um, even if it's uh, not something that you're interested in purchasing right now, that's great. Let's talk about um, what we're trying to do with uh, CXology and strategic customer success and, uh, see, uh, you know, if nothing else, what resonates, what doesn't resonate. Love to chat with and you. You've got a special little program that you're running right now. Is that right? Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So we just, um, we've uh, recently launched a free cohort experience. Um, and, you know, the, the audience that we're looking for is any CS or CX professional that was impacted by any of the recent tech layoffs. As you're going through this interview process and finding your, your, your next gig, um, I would love to have you part of these conversations. Um, uh, each cohort um, is uh, 20 people. Um, and so we have an active sign up going right now for a cohort that will kick off May 31st. It's a five-week commitment. We're going to go through five of the courses in CXology, um, discuss them as a team. So uh, you have an opportunity to uh, uh, share, learn, and network, as I'd like to put it. Um, network with other people in the industry, that uh, parts of the country. Um, share what you know. Uh, maybe learn a thing or two based on what we have in CXology. Very cool. And you gave me a link. I'll put that in the show notes for folks um, so they can sign up if they'd like to. Tim, uh, I want to thank you for your time and for meeting with me on this podcast. I really enjoyed the conversation, and I hope to stay in touch with you. Yeah. Thank you, Dylan. Um, you made this a really comfortable experience. And if there are anybody, uh, listeners that are out there that have anxiety, I have severe anxiety about moments like this. You, hey, you made it really comfortable. Um, uh, and wow. so uh, uh, I really appreciate that. So this is a good experience. For a guy who has debilitating anxiety himself, for me to be able to alleviate somebody else's, that's, uh, that's, that's high praise. I appreciate it. Kind of sounds like empathy. Oh, it, do it does, doesn't it? <laughs> wow. All right. Bring it in full circle. You've been listening to Lifetime Value, the podcast for customer success professionals. If you like what you've heard, please rate our show and subscribe wherever you find your podcast. Please note that the views expressed in these conversations are attributed only to those individuals on this podcast and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of their respective employers. For all inquiries, please reach out via email to dylan at lifetimevaluepodcast.com. Find us on YouTube via our channel, Lifetime Value, and find us on the socials at Lifetime Value Podcast. Until next time. This is Tim Conder. 
and you're listening to Lifetime Value, the customer success podcast. If you're not listening to this, you're a fool.